I like to think I'm a little more complicated than the than the average movie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. This month, however, we've been discussing the life and career of the one and only Tony Scott. And today is our final episode in our four-part series on his films. But before we dive into our final four films, the final batch of Tony Scott films, Thomas, can you give everyone a little recap on what we talked about this month regarding Tony Scott? Oh man, it's uh it's been a journey for sure. It's been very illuminating for me. Um Scott's someone I've always like respected, but I probably couldn't have told you like if you go back to the first episode and you know you we did this segment at the beginning of the first episode, you know, I was talking about kind of his color grading and the editing and um it's yeah, that's all there. Like we've talked about the from his early color grading when we're talking about Something like Top Gun or Beverly Hills Cop, where he's got those fire red skies, uh, to his to his green period, uh, which we're, we're yeah. still in a little bit this week. <laughs> uh, he was definitely someone with intensive colors, but we've also talked about his kind of MTV style of editing or commercial style of editing. Um, that he he was kind of on the cutting edge of that, and those 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 yeah. directors coming up in the '80s who were doing music videos and commercials and bringing that over into film. Uh, obviously starting with the hunger which is very much in that style and then he kind of dialed it back kind of played into the status quo for a little while until until the mid-2000s when it just exploded back into his stuff and we'll we'll discuss this week if <laughs> maybe he hit a, even his own breaking point um when it came to yeah to that style um but we've also some one of the things i think you and i have both discovered in this month is is his casting yeah and I kind of love this week, especially because we're going to see people from his past, like just show up in these, these last four films that he's made. And it's actually a lot of fun to watch him and be like, whoa, that, that guy guy's back. went like 10, 12 years without doing a movie with Tony Scott. Yeah. And then he just pops up in one of these. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's obviously someone who both not, not even, he's like a triple threat. He, he really appreciates the, the really solid established actors a lot of these films are about a lot of his films in his later career is about stout putting like an ingenue up against a, a legend yeah uh even even to like a lesser extent with something like domino we're going to talk about this this week like bringing mickey rourke back mm -hmm. really it was uh, after he'd done it with man on fire as well but uh and then pairing him up with kira knightley who he apparently saw in in pirates of the caribbean and was like i i, I need her yeah um and and so yeah somebody and somebody who worked with a lot of the same cast over and over again and, and who really knew how to cast those the veterans the new people and just like great character actors like just a, an incredible group of troop of of character actors uh i was talking with someone this week about crimson tide and he was like yeah go back to crimson tide and like look at that supporting cast and tell me which one of them is not famous and i was like only matt craven yeah. and i think he deserves to be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, we'll get this with Domino, but like when you and because Domino, it's a weird one because like he, it's all over the map in Domino. <laughs> like it's kind of I was like I forgot these people were in it, and it almost like predates kind of the like the rise of like putting musicians and stuff like in 
yeah, what is his tie with Macy Gray? Macy Gray in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and then she does the end credit song for Deja Vu. Yeah, it's just it's just like it's so odd of like I think of like when you like pop up and like like da- well I won't say too much, but like Domino like reminds me like if it was like a Harmony Korine film, like a Spring Breakers, like where you're seeing like mm-hmm. uh Gucci Mane pop up or something in like a role or uh or the beach bum. Like it's it's just so it's very ahead of its time in that. We'll discuss if it worked for some, but like the yeah the way he cast movies. I mean, I was looking it up, looking it up like recently, just kind of like adding up like Val Kilmer three appearances, Christopher Walken three appearances, Denzel like five, uh, uh, James Gandolfini three. Uh, it's like it's so many different people that are popping up in his movies consistently, and it's Gene Hackman too. And I I didn't I didn't think going into this month no matter how much I love Tony Scott, I didn't see him as like an actor's director. If that mm-hmm. makes I, yeah. I didn't really see him as that. And it, it, he weirdly, when going through all of his films, he comes off as, he might be a director that kind of like takes a little bit of a, like a, a step back and lets the actor do their thing. But as I said before, it's like he is a director who is able to find the star power or charisma within an actor or actress and he's able to amplify what is already there. And sometimes it's to its detriment, would say, I think, De Niro and the fan. Um, there might be some debates over Travolta and taking a Pelham one, two, three. But it's the the way he's able to amplify what is there. It really, uh, you're able to get some wonderful performances, specifically with Denzel, as we'll talk about probably this this week with these. He's in three, he's in three of Tony's, three three. he's in Tony's last three films um and kind of became his muse for this this kind of latter portion of his mm-hmm. career um uh, but yeah his casting is amazing and and i think too what i've discovered and i talked with a friend uh, a little about and we'll discuss in this this week is kind of how tony is really like a humanist he really focuses on people and mm-hmm. he's had this rep he had this reputation of being a style over substance guy there's not much there but even when like looking at taking a pelham one two three compared to the original it's not better than the original but i think he there's some interesting choices made of like how he goes off and looks at these other characters and tries to like develop Mm -hmm. the backstory of even the main characters when in in the original one it's just a thriller it's a basic thriller and these characters are here and we're in the moment here but he the it's it's the writers he gets or whatever he's able to kind of like create these little moments for these little big moments for these smaller characters that I think elevates a lot of his movies. And he's, he's, he has, he has a really good heart at the end of the day. Like he's, it's when you look at say man on fire. Um, and I think you'll look today with say unstoppable and taking a poem one, two, three, even he really is, is always like rooting for the underdogs. It feels like it's true romance with the, with Christian Slayer and Patricia Arquette. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, that's a lot of stuff there at the beginning of recap. <laughs> and hopefully we're going to cover this in this episode. Cause I think everything's kind of coming to a head now. It feels like, um, with mm-hmm. everything discussed, it's really, uh, crystallizing. I think this week when looking at all these, these four movies. So the first film up that we have is Domino. Domino was released in 2005 and it is a biopic question mark uh of <laughs> of domino harvey this 
this bounty hunter, this this female bounty hunter, this she was English and and uh, lived in Los Angeles in the '90s and 2000s, and she worked as a a bounty hunter in like South Central Los Angeles. But her 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 mother was a mod a famous model. Her father was Lawrence Harvey, who was a stage and screen actor. <clears throat> he was in the Manchurian Candidate, which actually pops up in this movie. But it's it's a biopic. It says it's. I think the opening says like based on a true story some of it or whatever it says like it's very mm-hmm. like upfront that like it just kind of goes off it's gonna go off the rails so this movie how this get made is is kind of funny i want to go into this real quick uh before we dive into kind of what we think so in 1994 tony scott was sent an article about a young british woman as i said domino harvey and he was intrigued because of her story specifically that she was the daughter of lawrence harvey and Scott would track down Domino, who was living in her with her mother in Beverly Hills. And Scott met with her at his office and allegedly paid anywhere between $360,000 to $500,000 for the, the film rights of her life story in the 90s. This didn't get made till 2005. So this <laughs> set for a while of him trying to get this made. And the th- during that time, Scott hired screenwriter Steve Baranek, who might sound familiar to some, maybe not. He was the writer of Last Seduction, which we covered back in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Scott yeah. was unsatisfied with the script. Uh, Baranek does receive a story by credit on the film, but the other writer, Roger Avery, who was the co-writer of Pulp Fiction, did not. Scott said these scripts were <laughs> were mostly boring biopics, and he wanted something very different and it wasn't until he saw donnie darko and possibly even either either saw donnie darko or read the script to southland tales where he's like i gotta get the writer richard kelly to write this movie <laughs> and that's and kelly this is definitely more southland tales than donnie darko. I, no i agree with you completely uh and and kelly basically began like making a lot of weird choices where it just went off the rails of not a biopic it just has people's names in it that are real. So he adds this DMV plot line. He adds these this Jerry Springer cameo and little thing. He also adds all these Beverly Hills 90210 parts. Um, <laughs> so it's just it just becomes a it's an absurd movie and and really becomes a satire of some kind on say our our view of celebrity in American society, our view of violence and all that. So Scott tries to get this film made at 20th Century Fox because he has a first look deal there. They refuse it. Uh, and New Line Cinema decides to finance it. And when it came to casting his version of Domino Harvey, as Thomas said, is that he saw a very young Keira Knightley uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean and he hired her to make Domino. And she was only about like 19 years old when they shot this film which is yeah kinda... i think she was 17 and when they yeah, shot pirate which is insane to me that she's yeah. 19 in yeah. this movie um and a side note that i wanted to bring up here too uh as we've kind of said this repeatedly is that it sounds like scott watched a lot of movies in like in the interim of making films because every movie mm-hmm. i feel like we've researched or talked about it was like oh he, i cast him because i cast him or her because i saw them in this movie I saw Dakota Fanning in I Am Sam, or I saw Keira Knightley in uh, Curse of Black Pearl, or... Yeah, I mean, that definitely ties into what we were talking about, his ability to both, like, mm-hmm. know out of the 
the established actors who are available to him who's a fit for his movies obviously shows that he's got a, a great knowledge of existing cinema but to also be able to kind of hand pick these up and coming actors like we've discussed definitely shows that he is watching new stuff and he's like keeping on it yeah, yeah. And, and and i think some people don't realize that how much when you're making movies how you should be in the know about all that <laughs> but even even that to a way like even when like music you see him using a lot a lot of like rise of hip-hop music in, in mainstream films are popping up in some of these tony scott movies uh these 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 later tony scott films so so thomas you had never seen domino i had not i knew i knew it was infamous but i had never gotten around to watching. and i've always i kept early on the sh- in this in the month i kept saying it's visually it's man on fire on acid uh scott said that he wanted to emulate the mindset of the bounty hunters that he was following when in his research, he followed them around for, for years, basically he became, he became good friends with all these people. These characters are based on up. He talked about how he was like a father figure in a way to Domino Harvey, uh, where she, he, she would, she would always call him when he, she was in like a jam or didn't know what to do with her life. And he was like, you gotta get out of it because it's going to end poorly for you. I'm just telling you now, but he, he, he really, became uh so but he he tries to like he said he said they were all like always high all the time always on acid always on drugs and he wanted to emulate that in the visual style so i guess your thoughts on this movie coming into it after hearing everything you've heard about it what were your thoughts when watching it um i did not know i hadn't looked into this movie too much uh i knew it was like an action movie a tony scott action movie i've often heard people say it is like the breaking point of that that late 2000s style or his, and um but i did not know richard kelly wrote it and so when his name popped up on the credits i was like this is gonna be different than whatever i was expecting um i've been reading a lot of, of think pieces about richard kelly lately because we just hit like the is it the 20 no the uh, is, dying not, is it the 20 year anniversary of southland tales 15 uh no know. it's it's the 15th 15th anniversary of Sa- 15th, but, all, yeah. but also the I've also, also the 20th about, anniversary of donnie darko yeah i've been reading a lot of stuff about kind of like the process of making southland tales and you know all this stuff you was supposed to have like four like novels that led you you're supposed to read before you saw it yeah. and all this stuff and then the studio just kind of dropped it instead and so nobody had any idea what was going on anyway i don't know how i, I honestly do not know how i feel about richard <laughs> i've read his, his his whole script um i don't subscribe to donnie darko quite as much as as i feel like a lot of people do mm-hmm. and i Same. will say that the parts that i enjoyed of this movie were because of tony scott and the parts that I did not enjoy of this movie were because of Richard Kelly. Okay. There, there was some really fun kind of uh, over-the-top action that he was playing with. Um, and the cast is obviously great. Um, I really enjoyed everyone. And Edgar Ramirez is mm-hmm. a lot of fun. I, I'm not even sure I was aware of Edgar Ramirez at Same. this point yeah. in his career. Yeah. Um, Walken is like having a blast and yeah. whoa <laughs> yeah <laughs> chris Walken is so much fun in this but yeah i don't know it's just some of that kelly stuff like i don't richard kelly is one of those writers uh, we're gonna get too deep into this richard kelly's one of those writers where sometimes i can't tell if he's being ironic or not and sometimes i don't i can't tell if he's oh because a lot of his stuff especially if you read his whole script is 
what some might call problematic yeah. and i'm sure that he would say he's being problematic ironically yeah but at a certain point if you're just being like over the top problematic it's just it's just insulting yeah like you know I like like yeah we get the idea that she's a, an attractive supermodel uh bounty hunter but the the lap dance uh scene goes beyond empowering to being exploitative again yeah, yeah. um and like just just like dropping out of the story to do this like monique stand-up yeah jerry springer on, yeah, jerry springer on jerry springer knowing it's written by a white man is like i don't know <laughs> i don't ever really needed this that's um, fair i agree with you so yeah That's good. very mixed feelings about domino i didn't hate it as much as i thought i was going to yeah, yeah. it's definitely fun um you know but some of the stuff some of the ridiculousness i enjoyed and some of the ridiculousness i was like okay some i saw someone call it trash pretending to be pop art pretending to be trash yeah yeah, de- yeah. and and I, I definitely felt that way sometimes you know it, it, it gives you somebody's arm getting blown off by a shotgun and then it and this like explicit inexplicable sex scene in the desert and then tom waits rolls up and is talking about like jesus and, and higher purpose and you're just like okay i don't know I have, but um <laughs> definitely an experience i have a buddy i mean you know him but uh he, he talks he, he he says that like this is this represents the like the what our america would become these past few years of like our obsession our <laughs> obsession with celebrity um our kind of infatu- infatuation with violence in some way um that's all very kind of i mean there is the interesting thing of like looking at the celebrity aspect of this movie of yeah. of how there's like they become like real they're like they they become a reality tv show at one point and mm-hmm. being hosted by the beverly hills 90210 cast which now makes you you know that 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 plot line made me think back i used to watch dog the bounty hunter when i was a yeah. kid and it makes you think back to like how TV appropriate that show was. Yeah. And you're like, how much did they have to manipulate yeah. that to make it like, okay for TV? Cause yeah. real life bounty hunting, there's no way they no. just like roll up and they'd, they'd like catch somebody and then dog would like have them accept Jesus on the way to the police <laughs> station. And by the end he'd be like, all right, a brother, I'm going to call and check I'm up check, on you yeah, a little yeah. bit later. And these guys are just like snorting cocaine, like uh, doing acid and like, we're getting money here. That's all we care about. I mean, that's the whole thing about Kira Knightley's character is Domino, that she's very much just like, I became a bounty hunter so I can like be a little bad and get away with it is kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, because she doesn't have to really answer to anyone. Um so I mean I I I like Domino. Um I think visually it's just so out there. Like, I don't know of another movie outside of man on fire that feels and looks like domino like it, yeah. it, it i do agree it goes it won't go in this layer but like it goes to a point and then that's when tony's just like i'm not gonna do that again for a bit i'm gonna i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna take a step back and that's when he does deja vu and then and then he begins to amp back up after deja vu but domino just feels like and he said he went on the record saying that he re, he thinks he might have screwed up on domino because the visual style was so out there and different with the like overlays on top of overlays and the 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 repeating all these lines and stuff but like it's the way he does it i think is 
it there's nothing uh, and the way they and i don't know if this is in the script or it's tony of like how they'll replay or do events and then replay it and you realize that's not how they occurred like they it's like it's like it's really like you're mixing like a track or like making a playlist in some way of just like deleting and adding deleting and adding and that's what this movie can feel like in some spots mm-hmm. uh it really is kind of like a a a, 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 like a collection of music and everything and how you put a put a playlist together and and i want to talk about this too with music that i noticed in this section that he's done previously is the way he like uses a song as like a motif of some kind yeah well he'll reuse it a couple times it's in domino it's in deja vu it was in man on fire i i can't remember if i'm taking pill one three one two three but it's very apparent in domino and deja vu where it's like a song Mm. you hear at some point that doesn't seem that important and then it comes back around and it's like twisted just a little bit i mean if if you're if you're if you're talking like the evolution of that in his career i still laugh every time i watch top gun like the you know that like take my breath away is coming and but like anytime tom cruise and kelly mcgillis have a scene together before they actually play yeah. the song like anytime they have a scene together you just get, get that doom, 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 doom. yeah like i don't think you hear the <laughs> lines take my breath away till halfway through the film but trust me that's good because i ha- again uh, uh like people are like oh it's not played that much in the movie like, no 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 it is played in that movie every time they, every time they make eye contact <laughs> yeah every, it, it, yeah it, you're right every time they make eye contact it feels like that that score comes in so he really likes using songs over and over again but originally it was score and now it's become the way he uses pop music i i've comp- again i kind of compared him when we're talking about the fan of how that was his attempt at scorsese but like he definitely tries to use pop music the way sometimes scorsese might try to use pop music in some of his films um mm-hmm. but he always is able to like weirdly attach it to character in a way that i i don't i haven't really seen before like I think of Man on Fire with Blue Bayou of how you first hear it, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it comes back around. It's this beautiful character moment with Denzel. With Domino, it's the kind of Mama told me, and it kind of go. It kind of goes a little bit with like maybe Domino's like parental issues with her mom and everything. But mm-hmm. like it's yeah. used once, and then when it comes back and used again, it's when Edgar Ramirez is shooting that dude's hand off or arm off, mm-hmm. and it's so like conflicting with the image you're seeing and it's this very like upbeat like yeah rocky and up tempo and it's like this dude's getting his arm blown off like and it's a very big that's a scene where it's like kira knight is like he said he's he's he said take the right arm off and rourke's just like i guess we're taking the right arm off and then edgar ramirez <laughs> like okay and then just gets a gun and starts blowing this dude's arm off meanwhile iron zeering and and uh uh what's his face yeah, brian austin <laughs> green are in the brian austin green are like screaming they're good in this movie i'm sorry i thought they were great <laughs> in this film <laughs> it's just this i mean just the scenes of them just like in and out over their head i mean they probably thought this is it this is how we get back on top guys is this movie mm-hmm. yeah and then this movie and bombs. this movie bombs no i do i do love when they get um when, when they get to leave yeah. the shootout that scene of them in the elevator <laughs> and they're just yelling and crying <laughs> i mean yeah but again so this movie let's talk about the cast real quick it's like you have Kieran knightley you have mickey rourke you have Edgar ramirez you have delroy lindo who mm-hmm. i mean a phenomenal actor's been popping around for a while but it's been on been on kind of the Del, delroy lindo train 
but then you get like Christopher Walken, you get Monique pre-Precious, you get Macy Gray, you get Dabney Coleman coming mm-hmm. out very briefly. very briefly, very important part, but very brief. Um, who else am I forgetting in Domino? Um, oh, Philomena uh, Suvari, Mina Suvari, um, Dale Dickey before she mm-hmm. kind of got big with like Winter's Bone, Hell or High Water, these kind of like rule movies. I got a shout out. We've talked we've talked a little bit in this series about his use of character actors, but the last four the, the last four uh Tony Scott movies, I do have to say is a is a wonderful journey for uh for Lou Temple. Mm. Uh he plays Dale Dickey's son, the one that gets his arm blown off in this yes. movie, and he has a very small role in Deja Vu. A uh, little bit of a role in, in Pelham 1, 2, 3. And then he's like one of the main characters in Unstoppable. Is he in Pelham 1, 2, 3? <laughs> I know he's in Pelham I didn't see. He's briefly. I looked it up because he did. Um, he's He did like pretty much all of his last movies. Yeah. I, I didn't. Well, who is he in Deja Vu again? Is he. I think he's one of the cops. Well, I thought he was one of the cops. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's why I couldn't, couldn't remember. I, I noticed that this that's oh that's the it's it's that's the the dude who ends up like being very important to the plot of Unstoppable. Yeah, this I mean, this movie is very it's hard I don't know how to talk about it with, with it, but like it's it's very subversive. I think it's Scott's most divisive film. Yeah. Well I, I think I think it's it's that combination of him and, 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 and Kelly because I do think it's it's other than maybe hunger. Yeah. It is the most kind of jarring, transgressive yeah. Scott has ever been visually. And then to pair that, because a lot of the times the scripts he's working off of are, are pretty bare bones. Um, but to pair that with someone who's actively trying to be transgressive in their writing as well. Interesting. Leaves you with something that's that's just going to that could either appeal to you or just piss you off. Like there's no in between. I feel like, but you're in between though, Tom, <laughs> I like to think I'm a little more complicated than the, than the average movie. <laughs> I've never killed anyone. I hope to never kill anyone, even if they deserve it. My agenda is to kick ass and secure the bounty. If I'm on this side of the law, I can live the low life and avoid jail. I can live the nasty and not do time for it. That's called the best of both worlds. As for that other world, that 90210 world, it's not for me. Is that him? Is that your dad? My real father was an actor. He died when I was a little girl. Hi, Ben. What the hell are you doing? What's the matter with you? <laughs> I knew Frank. <laughs> you didn't. Hey, Edna. You know what, sweetheart? You got like seven minutes to open that goddamn freezer, or I'm gonna flush that fucking arm down the toilet. Fucker! You're probably wondering how a girl like me arrived here, at the arse end of the Nevada desert with a blood-spattered Winnebago and a one-armed man. We'll see how it goes in my rankings. It might be surprising of where I put it. Um, I'm still not sure yet. Kind of, I'll find out in the moment. But yeah, I, I think I think Keira Knightley is great in this movie. I think I think the entire cast is great. I think Mickey Rourke's great in the middle of kind of the the comeback that could be, that, that could happen or almost happen. Like it's Rourke's a guy like always a big question mark of like 
Yeah, very similar kind of road to come back as Downey did, where it's like you're seeing him pop up in like supporting roles and like movies by bigger directors. So with Downey, it's like Zodiac. Uh, with Rourke, it's this movie. It's it's uh, Mound Fire. It's uh, even some of like the Once Upon a Time in Mexico. It's Sin City. And then boom, The Wrestler. And mm-hmm. Rourke in this movie is just, I think, really good. It's like he just everything about him like seems believable in this film even those sunglasses i mean sure <laughs> i i couldn't uh, those sunglasses were ridiculous <laughs> but like i think him and kira knightley have great chemistry i think him kira knightley and Edgar ramirez have great chemistry yeah, together they make, a, they make a great trio they really do yeah. and it's like what, what's so i know I, I noticed this when watching it this time talk about this like kind of family aspect to this movie in a way in a weird way um but also to a lot of his films like the way the movie ends with the credits did you notice that how it's just their Mm -hmm. first name it's a very like intimate choice in a way of like hey this Mm -hmm. is our this is this is our sister kira this is uh this is our brother mickey like it's like it's like this is our family and you're Mm -hmm. not seeing the need to show the full name it's just it was such an interesting choice um yeah. So yeah, I, and and we'll get more into that as we keep going. But like, yeah, it's just there's something about this. This is like this is like in terms of looking at characters, one of his like dirtiest movies in a way. Like the like the, <laughs> the way the characters are. Like I said earlier in the show, is that I think I think Tony like really likes looking at people and specifically the goodness in people a lot of the time. But this is not that uh this doesn't really have that but it's all this is also just a also kind of a weird you could argue a neo-noir as well with how he does like with the frame narrative with the lucy lou and Kieran knightley yeah. stuff but yeah it's just a very it's it's still it's in the scott wheelhouse in terms of visuals in terms of like some things he's covering but very different in terms of like it's kind of these somewhat bad people uh who were tossed in the situation when when you look at these next three films, it's it's almost three inherently good people who were tossed in these extra yeah. extraordinary events. Yeah, yeah, and 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 layman, I think, yes. is is the most important thing about it's a, it's his working class heroes kind of movie. Uh, period. Yeah, and we'll go into that next. But so real quick, the reception, as we said with Domino, as I've kind of. Oh, I do have I, I do have one one Domino question yeah, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Uh, where does this rank on your uh, big final shootout scenes in oh, Tony man. Scott movies? Because I, I, he's done it a lot. I read one of the reviews that was like, without spoiling anything, uh, I can tell you that this is heading to a scene that Tony Scott has shot many times before. But he does it differently. Now, I mean, it's... He does. He does do it differently. I mean, it's not, it's it's better than in the state for sure. <laughs> it's not true romance levels. No. But true romance is number one but again the way he cuts it the way it's like again it's the way he plays your perception of what's gonna happen i think it's i think it's underrated i mean i i think this whole movie's underrated and i i have to throw it back real quick i know we don't need to heap any more praise on man on fire but <laughs> when i when i read that review that was like talking about how it, it was kind of falsely generalizing that all tony scott movies end in these gigantic shootouts it just made me appreciate how how kind of quiet the end of of man on fire is man on fire is a beautiful film like (laughs) the way it ends like that's the only tony scott movie that made me legitimately cry 
at the end of that film. I'm just going to say that. Um, Domino didn't make me cry, but I was highly entertained. (laughs) And you didn't love the, the, when she and her mom made up. Oh yeah. Jacqueline Bissett. Uh, no, (laughs) I, I think it's a fun movie. I think it's in terms of excitement and the way he does every uh, edits, everything and the way he shoots it. I think it's great. You ever hear a Stevie Ray Vaughan? You're shitting me. Stevie and I hooked up in Austin. Back in the day, we did the bus tour thing together. Let every goddamn small club that would have us. Yeah. Yeah, me and that boy, we tore it up. Holy shit. Yeah, we played some with uh, Pat Benatar, but that was only when I needed cash. Oh, fuck off. I love Pat Benatar. (sighs) So did I. That's another story. Love is a battlefield, baby. What about Choco? How did you meet him? I met Choco on the street. A few hours after he got out of lockup, he was standing there in a pair of those jailhouse slippers. He didn't have a nickel in his pocket or a place to sleep. And then we started talking, and I liked the kid. Like a little brother. So receptionist movie, uh, as we've kind of said and hinted at with Domino, uh, and as with most Tony Scott movies, Domino was hated by critics. <laughs> the film currently has a 18% on Rotten Tomatoes, the lowest of any Scott film. On Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly said it was, as kind of Thomas said as well, trash shot to look like art imitating trash. However, Roger Ebert and Richard Roper of At The Movies, the the old older uh movie review television show both gave it positive reviews ebert said in his review for the chicago sun times did i admire domino in a sneaky way yes it's fractured (laughs) and maddening but it's alive i agree with that take yeah it's different it is very different uh and i think as of right now i believe it's streaming on hoopla if you guys want to go see it yeah make your make your local make your local library pay for you to watch this movie yeah so strap in. So after he makes that, t- he ha- this is a weird period because 05, 2010 is his last four movies. And he makes four films pretty like compact. It's 05, this, 06, Deja Vu, 09, Taking a Pelham, 1, 2, 3, and 2010, Unstoppable. So this, the next mm-hmm. movie he does is Deja Vu. Thomas, what is Deja Vu about? Uh, Deja Vu is stars Denzel Washington as, a, uh, as an uh, ATF Um uh, the Bureau of Firearms, Tobacco, and wait, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms yeah. uh, agent who's sent to investigate a terrorist attack, a bombing of a ferry in New Orleans, and teams up with this side, this this kind of secretive branch of the FBI, who he comes to find out has a certain restrictive type of time travel technology that they can use to surveil the past not to necessarily travel to the past Mm -hmm. but to view three days in the past yeah and he is determined to use it to not only stop the bombing but to also save this murder victim that he's discovered uh that he's convinced is like tied into the bombing in some way who is played by paula Patton and kind of her breakout right Around, around that time yeah um i don't know really much she had done previously because it's like this in 06 and that she did 
Yeah, or her her feature film debut was a year before in Hitch. Apparently, mm. uh, USC alum is she? I know that yeah, for film. She was she wanted to be a filmmaker and then got into acting. Oh, I I actually love Paula Patton and a lot of the stuff she's in. Yeah, Deja Vu is a really. It was one that I had seen when it came out, like on DVD, and watched mm-hmm. it, and was like, "Cool, that's like all the other movies that like that were like it's." It, it reminded me of like the Out of Time that that Denzel had done, it, and it just like it was like one of the other action thriller movies that were coming out at that point, and so I hadn't revisited it, and it's one that weirdly, like a lot of people like or enjoy. And a lot of people kind of call it underrated. And when watching it this time, it, it is a very it's 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 Tony Scott's most romantic film, which is odd to say, but it really mm. is this like a lot of people compare it like it's Tony Scott's Vertigo, where it's like it's 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 Vertigo for the modern like action era films. But it really like I think Denzel gives a great performance in it, and I think it's it's just it's it's an interesting uh, film within the Tony Scott like filmography. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's definitely. And in fact, I was I I texted you. I got kind of fascinated with the making of this yeah. one, uh, just because I had one major question when the credits rolled. It was Terry Rossio, who's a very well established screenwriter and another guy who i'd never heard of before yeah, so Bill, i started Bill googling that. Yeah. yeah but uh, a lot of the stuff i found when i was googling i was finding a lot of the articles from when the script was was originally purchased and everyone was calling it a time travel romance um and it does i mean obviously i feel like any time travel film is going to get compared to la jete but I, it does kind yeah, of have that like star cross lovers across time yeah. uh aspect to it it does so you mentioned the behind the scenes stuff because I want I didn't I, I want to discuss this. So since you re, you researched it, h- how did mm. this film get made? How this at least the script come about? Yeah, so my I told you my initial thoughts when I saw this um, Bill Marcillo yeah, yeah and and Terry Rossio I I thought oh the studio bought this script and then brought Rossio in to script doctorate which is not unheard of nope a lot of times in development if you get a script and you're like wow i love this idea but this writer is like not experienced it's it's not fleshed out you buy it yeah. give that writer some sort of credit and then you bring on somebody more experienced to polish it up and i just kind of assumed that's what this situation was but then i i started reading more into it and Rossio, who was, who was already an established screenwriter, was doing like a Q&A on this message board around the time of Aladdin's release, because Rossio was one of the screenwriters for Aladdin. And this Marcelo guy, who's a writer, an aspiring writer, reached out to him. They started talking. Something about Marcelo's kind of ideas appealed to Rossio, and they became online writing partners. Yeah. And we're kicking around a lot of ideas and finally started fleshing out this movie. Yeah. And as a, his, he had written some um, TV comedy. Uh, yeah, he, he, no, Courage the Cowardly Dog. He had written several episodes of Courage the Cowardly Dog, and that was his only screen credit. Yeah, because the, re- um, the rest were all like what which happens in this business, especially in the 90s, where it's like he had written spec scripts 
they got yeah. bought, but they were put in the turnaround, so they just were never got they never got made. Yeah, yeah. He was making money. He was he was but still working as like a temp. But this yeah, still working as like a temp uh, yeah. on another job. Yeah. But um, but this script was bought, and at the time, I don't know if it's been surpassed since then. But this was the the most expensive spec script ever purchased. Yeah. And so it was it was big. It was making waves in Hollywood for sure. Yeah, and so yeah, because it's it's uh so real quick on how like the idea came about. Basically, they had, Terry Rizzio and, and I think Bill Marsili. Uh, it's that they had their conversation online, met in person once. Like, yo, we gotta be writing partners. Let's make something. And Ro- Rosio was just like, here is a list of all my ideas. Pick one you think is that you would like to do. And he said there was a one page outline of a movie called. Uh, movie called Prior Conviction, and it was about this detective who was trying to solve his girlfriend's murder. And I think it's uh, Marcelli who was like, "Oh, what if he falls in love with her after she's already dead?" And it's like that's the movie, and and it was just like mm. combina- actually a combination of those two things, and it yeah, it, it just kind of developed from there. It looks like Deja Vu is still the most expensive spec script ever made. Wow, um, good for them. Um, so. Yeah, it's it, but it, it, it this movie really goes in a lot of just I think interesting places with uh like what happens also too with the script it's like they they end up how this movie with the the bidding they had a bidding war for it they gave it to Bruckheimer and they're like you have forty eight hours to make us an offer before we send this out to everyone and they ended up having a bidding war increasing it and Bruckheimer ended up paying I think five million dollars and they ended up getting paid three million. Or something. It wasn't the thing that paid the full five million with with that. Um, but yeah, it's so what happens with that type of movie in this business is that you if they're spending that much money on a script, they really want to get big names attached to it to make it a big film. And so that's how mm-hmm. Tony Scott gets involved, and that's how Denzel Washington gets involved. Uh, there definitely is some issues in the after the film was released between Scott's vision for the film and the writer's vision for the film. Apparently at yeah. one point, Scott quit the production in protest of the script. Denzel was about to quit. They rewrote the script and Denzel's like, I love this and convinced Tony to come back. But Tony's like, I'll come back as long as I can bring in my own writers. I don't know what happened there. And, and also too, this is from, I think t- from Terry Rosio's, uh, perspective and in hollywood there's more than one side to every story um yeah but yeah this is this is interesting. it's again it's like we had me on fire with denzel but this is the beginning of like these last three collaborations with tony yeah so this is their their third film together their third film together but the first in this like trilogy of denzel tony movies denzel tony uh commuter movies commuter movies yeah fair yeah ferry ferries subways subway, freight, freight trains. trains yeah so uh, to bring that up I, I read denzel talking about working with tony he goes when when they're making this movie he goes i really enjoy working with tony so it makes for a pleasurable experience i bet this too long for it not to be fun it's sort of a no-brainer the next time they call me i'll be there the big story i want to bring up with this movie that that Tony does these next few times is how relevant they are to what's happening in America at that point. Hmm. Cause this yeah. is post Katrina and it takes place in new Orleans. 
and that wasn't part of the script mm-hmm. it was the original script was supposed to be in long island and scott read it and was like i want this to i want this to be in new orleans so they go down and they shoot in new orleans and it's kind of similar to like falcon or soldier that happened this past year of like they go down to set in new orleans scout the place out and then katrina happens and like ruins a lot of the areas they're looking at and so they're talking about we gotta move location and i think it's like scott i think denzel they all kind of fight like no let's let's stay in new orleans and uh they're even talking about canceling the movie but basically it took three months after the hurricane before they were able to go in and begin shooting or start shooting the film so it's pretty it's like still in the in the thick of it with katrina yeah they, i mean Orleans. they've got a sequence where they go to the ninth ward and it is wrecked it's wrecked, like yeah. it's just covered in debris still and so with that it was tony scott denzel val kilmer and jim caviezel held a news conference upon their arrival in new orleans apparently to announce their intention to employ local new orleans uh citizens in order to help with like the post katrina uh uh um with jobs lost and kind of just how everyone was 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 hurting in that area and this kind of was mm-hmm. the kind of brought them out and the film's dedicated to the like he he ends it with dedicated yeah. to the, the 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 many people in the city the great city of new orleans or whatever it says well and i do i think this movie does a great job at, at the atmosphere as far yeah. like it's not throwing you know jazz in your face <laughs> no. every second but it, it feels like it's it feels like new orleans yeah like paula Patton's like apartment feels like something you would see like down the French quarters, mm-hmm. like this kind of older, yeah. this older building. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, it's a movie. It's like, it's a very new Orleans movie without being like I said, a very overt, like let's, let's go down bourbon street. Let's it's go. Not, it's not live and let die. Yeah. It's not live and let die. Correct. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think, and, and some people, I, I, I can't remember which what reviewer that I read, but like really criticized, the movie for that saying it was like exploiting the tragedy of Katrina. And I don't, I, I, I didn't get that. And I wonder if it's because like we're, we're far removed from it. And sometimes, mm. I mean, I remember watching like, like you, I, I watched it on DVD, but I mean, it was pretty recently yeah. after it came yeah. out. So it would have been, you know, I, it was definitely the first movie I saw to like address Katrina in any way, but I feel like it's, yeah, I, I I don't remember it feeling that way at the time either. Yeah. And so it's like, but I wonder if it's because like people sometimes are like, Oh, they're talking about this and like that. They shouldn't do like there again. <laughs> it might be what, what goes with the Tony Scott perception of him, of the, of like the, his reputation of like, he just makes like cutty action movies and he's using mm-hmm. new Orleans as a way to like help his new, like MTV infused action film. And and yeah. I, I think he's saying a lot more in this movie than that. I I feel like it's like I said that this is his romance film, and I just and it's it's again another really good performance from Denzel, and something I yeah. haven't really seen him do before. Yeah, I um I, a lot like you. I had a very similar experience, and I told you I think last week when we were prepping for this episode, I was like I saw Deja Vu once. I never thought I would watch Deja Vu again <laughs> in my life, but um we're doing it for the podcast, and I definitely enjoyed it a lot more on the second go round. you know and it's also one of these things we talk about this every time we do a director month like you gain you you definitely gain an appreciation watching all the movies for the ones that didn't quite hit as well 
Um, but I think what I really appreciate about this one is is the, like the quiet moments. And we've yeah. talked about this. We talked about this in Man on Fire. He's great at, at infusing these kind of quiet moments into. We just think of him as being crazy manic energy. But there's some really nice moments between Denzel and Paula Patton it's, in this movie. Yeah, God, like I don't want to spoil too much, but like it's in the trailer. But this the scene when they're in the car, and it's kind of a replay of it's it's when the Beach Boys song comes on. Yeah. Oh, it's mm-hmm. so beautiful. Like it's it's literally just a beautiful moment and it's so underrated mm-hmm. with in terms of like what's what Scott is known for. Yeah, and the cast is really fun in this. Val Kilmer, I I love I, I forgot Val Kilmer was in this and when he popped up I was like, "Oh, yeah, hell yeah." Cuz um, he's, he's in it, Adam but Goldberg he's yeah, Adam blessed. Goldberg uh again another funny guy that's cast in the movie it feels like. Yeah. Um yeah, Kilmer is in it, but like he's not like He's not the like he's not the guy who's like sending him back in time. That's Goldberg of all things. Like yeah. Kilmer does have a great moment where he's just like, "Well, when you're finished with whatever you're doing, turn the lights off." Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than the first time. Mm-hmm. I, I I liked kind of the quiet of it. I I I appreciated that he he kind of shot this one in a kind of similar way to enemy of the state even though this is like the antith- like enemy of the state was like surveillance state is 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 awful and yeah. this movie's like hey yeah this this actually helped <laughs> <laughs> i mean it still feels like to me especially early on before you get to like the the time travel and before you get to like the the looking at the 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 surveillance kind of scenes it's a very mm-hmm. it's very restrained for him like the way he shoots, it's very yeah. visual. Again, it's the very like long takes of when Denzel gets there. It's very not slow, but like, it's very um, deliberate. Well, I think it. I think it embodies like like deja vu. It's got these these quiet moments of him kind of investigating, and and it it creates this almost dreamlike yeah. tie between the past and him. And so when that kind of more when the actual time travel is introduced, and that's a little bit more hectic and disorienting than the, the, you know, the double exposures and the quick cutting kind of starts to show up Yeah, and, and it is jarring and it, and it helps to kind of center his relationship with Paula Patton as the heart of this, because the, the stuff between them is really slow and nice and kind of dreamlike a little, you know, there's a little bit of somewhere in time in this movie. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah. It's very, very similar. Because because with that Christopher Reeve falls in love with just of an image of of Jane Seymour and this is kind of what happens to him mm-hmm. is that he falls in love with Paul Patton through the images that he sees of her. Yeah, I think I think as a time travel movie, it's underrated this move this movie because mm-hmm. like some when you get time travel stuff, you end up getting like a lot of plot holes or like the ending doesn't make sense. But this kind of like everything works it's very well yeah i i like what because you know you've either there's, there's a lot of different schools of thought on time travel movies but there's usually either the you can't change anything yeah or or the butterfly effect like you yeah. you will change everything if you mess with anything kind of thing and and i like that this one plays with your i don't, I don't want to get too much into it but um it does it it sets you up obviously you can change something like that's the point of the movie yeah but it, it sets you up to think like like and then Adam Goldberg is saying it over and over again. You cannot change the past. And they show like multiple him Denzel trying multiple times to change the past. And, and every time he just keeps realizing, like, I'm not changing it. Yeah. I'm not changing it. So you really do have this doubt as you're getting towards the end and the bombs counting down and you're seeing the pieces come together. You're like, 
Man, I really don't know if he's gonna be able to change anything. Kind of creepy seeing that lady's life go down in flames. Yeah. Makes you appreciate life. I suggest you go home and jump on whoever you got. That's what I'm gonna do. Nobody home. Let that happen. Everything you have, you lose, right? Mother, father, gone. Good looks, Brizoire, gone. Loved ones gone in a second. It's what this job teaches you, doesn't it? No matter what, no matter how hard you grab onto something, you still lose it, right? Well, we're gonna grab onto this guy in a couple hours. We're gonna nail this son of a bitch. Mm. What's wrong? No matter what, we still lose her. Right? So let's go with receptionist movie. Very mixed. Uh, did gross 180 mm-hmm. 180 million dollars. I forgot to say that Domino was a box office failure. By the way, it, it didn't make its money back. It was like 50 million dollar film. Only made like 23 million. Uh, this made 180 million off a 75 million dollar budget, and it was it again. the The reviews of this issue are just baffling to me. Again, uh, Joel Siegel of ABC News called the film technically well made criticized its scientific basis for time travel. Uh, a New York Times additionally found the depiction of parishes decimated by Hurricane Katrina vulgar. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't make sense to me. Mm-mm. And the big thing is that the writers, Terrazio and Bill Bill, Bill Marsili, uh, have acknowledged the film was not shot the way they wanted the film to be shot. Yeah. Saying that they blame Tony Scott uh, for making it more of an action-heavy movie, and not more of a about the meaningful plot of the film, like they, which is wild because this feels very restrained. It does, them, especially coming off D- of Domino. Domino. <laughs> I think you texted me. You're saying like after Domino, this feels like it's like not moving, like it's static yep. visually. Yeah, it's just like, they, but they're talk. They're basically saying that like, oh, everyone complained about how there's so many plot holes, but there weren't any plot holes in our script. That's because his direction did that and i've I've dealt with people (laughs) writing time travel movies before i I just gotta throw this out there to writers of time travel movies sometimes you guys get i I understand you're very proud of the ways that you were able to like create your own version of time travel but sometimes someone sometimes nobody else cares sometimes you just gotta let it be Um, i love this movie it's just like yeah no i i love I love time travel when time travel is like, yeah, no, we stumbled on this by complete accident. Like timeline. Yeah. That is honestly <laughs> timeline is like my favorite version of time travel M- movie. Not great. Um, <laughs> but just the idea they were like, yeah, no, we were trying to like fax physical objects. And then we just figured out that we sent them back in time. Instead, we're not really sure how it works and we can only th- send things to this one place. And I mean, that's all this one kind of was. They're like, yeah, no, we're just trying to like, yeah. Well, was it something like a more efficient form of communication yeah, or something? Yeah, because they ended up blacking out all the Northeast. So, yeah, that was us. That's what yeah. we figured out. So they they punched, through, punched through the time continuum yeah. and are able to see, but just to like one specific time. Yeah. Four, um, day, four days before the event is what it is. Yeah. Now, but, I, but I think it's kind of a cool little, like, it's different. I think it's different. Mm-hmm. Again, Scott's very adamant. He'll tell you if he thinks he kind of made a mistake on, on it. I don't think he did. I think some of the stuff that people are saying is is ill advised. I think I think it's I think it's just I think at a certain point in Tony Scott's career, 
there is an accepted fact that he was just a popcorn director. And mm-hmm. I think some... And especially his pairing with Bruckheimer, because yes. a lot of people, at this point, if Bruckheimer's name's attached to something, a lot of people are just going to feel that way no matter who's making exactly. it. Exactly. And I think when they watch his films, they lump it all in together and saying, he, how dare him say try to say anything... How dare him try to like tell us what America's like of some kind? Because like it's it's like with the Katrina, like they reference it's Katrina. I think they kind of even reference like nine eleven to an extent. Like the there's definitely some nine eleven references in yeah, here for sure. Yeah, like it's it's a it's it's very kind of very relevant for the time, very prevalent and very uh, aware of its surround, like it's it's kind of period in, in history. Get up. Are you gonna tell me the truth? Are you gonna tell me why you're here, why this is happening? And none of it makes sense. None of it. What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world, but you knew they'd never believe you? What would you do? I'd try. You never know what someone might believe. He does. He finishes Deja Vu, comes out in 2006. The next film he makes is The Taking of Pelham 123, a remake of the 1974 film. And this film is released in 2009, starring Denzel Washington, John Travolta. Denzel Washington plays a subway dispatcher who is who on a day in New York, a subway dispatcher in New York, and he ends up having to uh, basically be a negotiator in this, high, this hijacking of a subway by John Travolta, who is holding half the or basically the like i think 30 40 people hostage for the 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 small sum of 10 million dollars this is the big i mean we it starts deja vu but i want to put this here now with taking a film one two three is that scott when looking at denzel is why i think it's been a very interesting kind of trajectory for both of them post on unstoppable is he's making denzel like this every man character mm. who's stuck in an action movie yeah but it's a i just say it's a very working class character um because the big thing with with denzel his, his character name is walter garber is that he's worked in the subway transit system in new york for like 25 years and he's worked his way up from like just the bottom rung to being like a big shot who like negotiates all the deals with like train subways and buying subways or like the trains for new york and what's happening when you meet him at the beginning of the movie is that he has been accused of taking a bribe when over in japan doing this like deal for the subways and he's that's why he's on this dispatch board is because it's kind of like punishment for like oh you're under investigation once we found out you're guilty that's when we'll fire you but we're not gonna have you in like a, a main spot um until then so that's why he's on kind of just a low rent desk and what i think is very interesting with this movie and then also with unstoppable is that it's characters that like have been forgotten by modern society it's the mm-hmm. yeah you work 26 years of your life you've given everything to us but we're gonna toss you away like you didn't mean anything to us and that's what both these characters are but and in both cases in unstoppable and pelham denzel's character could walk away at any time if he really wants to nothing is holding him there except he is a a naturally good person 
who wants to do yeah. right by everyone and basically loves his job so much he knows how to use his experience at the job to essentially save people and mm -hmm. i think it's very I, I i told someone uh about this when looking at both these films i was like it is interesting to see a denzel playing an older character who is in an industry for decades and decades who's all of a sudden very misunderstood and is about to be tossed aside for the next young hot thing feels a little like Tony Scott as the director at this point in, in Hollywood <laughs> of everyone kind of like, you're not really like worth it. But then all of a sudden when this big event happens, it could be a movie. Everyone's there to support you and thank you for everything you've done. Um, mm -hmm. There's just something about that. But yeah, again, going with the substance thing, I think in this movie, again, this is like a, this is kind of a recession movie in a way. Because yeah. Travolta, Travolta, a little bit of a spoiler, Travolta's a, a, a ex-Wall Street guy. And it's dealing with, like, the stock market and how he's basically going to use tragedy to make money. Mm. That's very post-08 uh, housing yeah. market. Um, yeah, this movie makes a it's, it's, it make a very interesting companion piece with, uh, with Inside Man. Yeah. Not as good. Not as good. Love Inside Man. But um, still, like, using kind of this action movie genre to make some make some statements on on new york specifically but yeah the financial crisis yeah. so what did you think of this movie when, when watching it? had you seen it before i had not seen this one before okay. um i was a little disappointed in this one i knew that people pointed to it as one of the highlights of scott's later career mm. or at least that was my understanding of it um i remember when it came out people were like well yeah this was this was good but um uh, it was it was fine yeah i don't know it, it's it's you know there's there's a subgenre of of Tony Scott films that are like the the control room movies, and I definitely think Crimson Tide is by far the best. And this one just didn't have the 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 tension for me. It was interesting, it, depending on how you feel about Travolta's performance. A lot of it is is hinged on on you know the back and forth between him and Denzel. Um, I didn't think the climax was very like kind of once they leave the yeah the, I agree with uh, that. the control room I thought that kind of peters out um and and I will talk in a minute Scott definitely directs a runaway train a lot more compellingly in in his yeah. next film yeah um so yeah it, there's there's some good moments obviously Denzel's great and everything and and Travolta's kind of off and on he's hit or miss I think in this um yeah that's that's kind of where i stand hey, yeah travolta is very unhinged in this movie um but i, I so it's funny because i i had the opposite approach because I, I saw this when it came out and i didn't think it was that good and and i just recently saw the the, the original and i said it's not as good as the original but i think i think it does it is an interesting showcase of kind of the things that scott is interested in i think the one thing that kind of hit me that I thought about that I noticed in this movie and then in Unstoppable uh, again it's uh, the working class hero but also like the people that surround that story like mm -hmm. Scott does a really good job of for for brief moments showing you the world of another character that's somehow connected to the plot in some way in this movie it's the the young guy who's on like the the webcam with his girlfriend and he mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's the idea that like 
he's showing you characters who are the main characters of their own story but we're just choosing to follow these people over here for this movie like yeah. that character that that like kid that college guy whatever like you see his arc of like kind of like flirtatious and kind of sexual with like her stripping for him on the webcam and everything kind of goes to shit um and then she's like trying to tell him that she loves him and he won't say it back in the middle of everything and then once this moment mm-hmm. when he thinks he's gonna die that's all he's saying is how much he loves her or it's the airborne guy it's the it's the dude who like the the lady's like like are you gonna do like are, are do you have a should we do we should do something and he's like why are you looking at me and she's like i saw your ring like my husband had that it's an airborne ring and he's like that was mm-hmm. a long time ago uh and in this moment you see like this one character has like two scenes or three scenes and you get so much like so much about this guy in this time of how like that was a long time ago so now you see, now you think that he's like i'm not a hero anymore like i'm not i'm not that person like i'm kind of i feel disgraced because of this and then he has this moment where he essentially saves people's lives at the end and you see this this whole this man's entire journey in three scenes and Mm -hmm. i think that's just i think that's amazing and i think is underappreciated of how well he's able to do it in this one and he does it in unstoppable as well maybe not as much he used he used the kind of like the towns that you're going through as the way to do that but i i think he is a great job like giving you this little bit about these other characters that might not seem important but you just know they are on their own path, but we're just not following them right now. Yeah. I didn't think I'd be defending to taking a Pelham one, two, three, like when, when going into <laughs> like when look, when going back this month, this was like, yeah, that was okay. Um, that's how I felt about deja vu. Um, and so I, I was out cause I watched them chronologically this week. And so I was like, all right, maybe Pelham one, two, three will be the same way. And it, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't hit, didn't hit for that's me. That's fine. I, I said I think it's more like because I remember it so poorly. I mm. texted, but I was like, I kind of like this movie. Like it's kind of again, same <laughs> thing. It's like you get James Gandolfini, you got John Turturro popping up as the hostage negotiator, uh, Luis Guzman, and yeah, I, 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 and I, and I, I, I can like Crazy Travolta sometimes. That's the thing. I like him kind of unhinged. <laughs> I like him yelling, uh, and and then yeah, I remember this one, and around the same time was that one like from Paris with Love. Oh yes, 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 and everybody was like, "Oh, this is Travolta's like fourth wave." Yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I think some of the scenes are good with the. I think I think him and Denzel. I think I think in a lot of those scenes, it feels like he comes to play because he's going against Denzel. He can't match up mm. against Denzel, but I feel I feel like he's taking it more seriously than some other stuff I might have seen him in post taking a Pelham one two three. Um, yeah, and. Yeah, I just, I mean, I think it's solid. I think it's a solid, solid flick. We'll see how it ranks the end. Well, what are you doing dispatching trains? I thought you were some sort of MTA big shot. I work for the MTA. Today they put me at dispatch and uh, my bad luck. Oh, I thought you didn't believe in bad luck. I said I didn't believe in fate. Do you believe in rigged contracts for new trains? Look. I, why, what are we talking about this for? Look, I need to know who I'm dealing with. You need to know who you're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, I want to know who I'm dealing with. I mean, are you a bad penny? Let me explain something to you. Being accused of something is one thing. Being guilty of it 
is something entirely different. Well, agreed, but uh, you got to take me through this, my man. You got to uh, tell me from the top this whole train thing. Come on. All right, I started out in uh, maintenance, uh, platform maintenance, track maintenance, flagman, uh, conductor. Conductor, really? Yeah, and then uh, motorman. A motorman? How long did you do that for? I drove them over six years. I went to tower operations, assistant dispatcher, dispatcher. I finally ended up. Uh, yeah, you're assistant chief transportation officer or something, right? That's right. And if no surprise, it was not well received when it first came out. Um, very mixed. It did. It made 150 million dollars in a hundred million dollar budget. It 51 percent current on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, again, it's not one of his best, but I think it's one definitely where it's again he's trying to make a statement about something's happening in America, specifically this post recession uh, or middle of the recession, actually, and this kind of like anti Wall Street kind of statement that's happening in the in the movie. So after that, after Taking Pell One Two Three in two thousand nine, his next movie in two thousand ten is Unstoppable. Thomas, what is Unstoppable about? Unstoppable is about a runaway train. It's unstoppable, and Chris Pine, Chris Pine and Denzel are uh, a, a mismatched pair of of a train engineer and conductor who are not getting along. It's their first day working together, but they decide against orders to team up to to stop this train and to save everyone because the train is carrying explosive chemicals yeah. and will be a giant disaster if it derails. Yeah, I think this is for one, Chris Pine Denzel, great chemistry in this film. Yeah. And and, and Unstoppable's movie where it came out, I watched it. Yeah, I remember liking it. it got it, it, and, and critics liked it. Um, it's been a little bit more in the conscious of late because of Tarantino when he put it on like his top 10 favorite movies of the 20 of 2010s, he put unstoppable, which was somewhat surprising to a lot of people, but it was also Chris Nolan has listed it as one of one of the movies that inspired him for Dunkirk and how to use suspense in Dunkirk. Mm. So it's, it's beloved by filmmakers. And I think this is where, Unstop- this is why it's it's sad that he wasn't able to make he couldn't he didn't make more films and everything happened afterwards because I think you would start seeing the reappraisal of him more after Unstoppable. Mm. I think you you're starting to see more directors look at him more. I think critics were starting to come around to him, and I think when seeing kind of Denzel hitting another peak in his career, and again like just the Chris Pine the Chris Pine train, no pun intended. Of what was happening. Yeah, I was not on the Chris Pine train when this movie came out. I wasn't out. either. I didn't see it. But I'm totally on it now. Um, so you never seen it before this? No, this was my first. This I Deja Vu was the only movie we watched this week that I, I had seen previously. So it felt like Deja Vu you yeah. know, when I saw that one again. So, so what did you think of this movie? I came into this one with high expectations. Like you said, I knew people who liked it when it came out. It was one of those movies that everyone, I was like, I'm not seeing that. And everyone's like, oh, you should you should reconsider. And I, I wish I had at the time. Um, it was, felt like a very similar experience to John Wick. Yeah. I was like, that sounds that sounds awful. And then I, <laughs> I, I, I saw I did see the first John Wick in theaters, but it was like a month after it yeah. came out. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 fun. It's 
and like it, it'll have you on the edge of your seat yeah the, the kind of rounded out supporting cast is is a lot of fun um you get kevin corrigan back it's yep. been like it's almost like 20, 20 years. years since true romance <laughs> between true romance and this one but he shows back up everyone always comes back to the uh to tony, the tony, tony scott, scott uh, yeah for sure but yeah it's it's i mean you, i said earlier that some of his scripts he had made were bare bones and that's when he is really able to shine and i think this might be the most bare boned of any of his scripts that he's made yeah and he really does shine like he there's it's a, it's a monster movie it basically is. it is there's this train coming it's like jaws mm -hmm. i love the first time you really see it i think is when the when the horse you know, like you, you you've been like checking back in on it like going fast and there's the near miss with like the kids in the the train car but like the the sequence with the horses on the track and it just comes around the corner and everyone's like ah oh, go 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 i was like this this could be really silly but you know what i'm buying it i'm buying into it that was the, that was the other thing i want to say about the the, the horse saying well i was reminded about the, the airborne guy and taking thumb one two three i'm reminded of that moment of the, of the people trying to save their horses where it's like these are like this is their, either their livelihood or it's their pets and they're trying to save them before this train comes in and in this mm -hmm. moment in this moment we're not going to denzel we're not going to chris pine we're with this family who's trying to get the horses off the track yeah and it's a and this character they're the main characters of their story in this moment yeah and all the little supporting characters are so much fun like i said lou temple is oh great so much fun in this his <laughs> intro is great when she's like where are you and he's like oh i'm 15 minutes what? out and he's eating <laughs> breakfast at a diner uh but he's he's a lot of fun i was i really loved kind of his arc in this one and i mean even at the beginning uh ethan soupley and tj miller yeah. is <laughs> just kind of like yeah they're just some dudes yeah. like you know nobody set out to to launch a you know global disaster but um it just happened it just happened and and yeah it's the denzel or it's the and then denzel chris pine meeting each other of like mm. when it's like denzel's all, like denzel's frank frank barnes character just always on will colson chris pine's ass the entire time of just mm -hmm. like because what's happening is again it's kind of like the day because this is a 24-hour movie we've talked about 24 hour yeah. movies here and this is this one is definitely a one crazy day one crazy movie, because it's sure. like chris pine's like it's the it's for chris pine it's the oh like some stuff's happening with my wife and kid and like they, there's a court hearing today but i can't because like it's a busy work day so i can't it's my it's my like new 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 time with this or new job basically it's his new position it's like he can't leave so he can't go to the court hearing denzel forgets one of his daughter's birthdays and and they're just thrown into this cab together essentially in the train mm -hmm. and it's like you guys have to work together and then it builds towards again it's well structured too with how they how like everything kind of happens at the right moment and just how those characters kind of become friends and and in some way like they they are connected by the common good and like i love the scene i love the scene when Denzel's on the radio with Kevin Dunn, who's the vice president of train operations. And mm -hmm. he's just like, and, and Kevin Dunn's just like, if you, if you go after that train, I'm firing you. He's like, and you already did. And it's just a great, like, fired me. he's like, you did. Yep. He, he goes, it's the, uh, I worked here for 26 years. I got my 90 day notice 72 days ago. He's like, so right now I got, I got, I mean, you can't fire me again. And then it's just like, mm. and then Chris Pine's just like, yeah, we're going to chase this thing down. It's just like what they do. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's, 
again, it's going with the idea of this everyman character and how he's being tossed aside for progress, as they might say, mm-hmm. or for the thing, the, the next young thing, the, the, the younger person could do the same job for less pay. Yeah. And I think as far as his kind of like every man saga goes with his last couple of movies, this one captures really well, like everybody, like you said, we get Rosario Dawson showing up in the morning and like the most stressful thing about her day is those kids coming in yeah and and you get lou temple you know lying about being late to work because what consequence is it until it turns into like oh you're late to work you might be able to stop this train yeah uh it, it, yeah it, it's great it, it, and and you know once again he can handle these kind of moments of quiet i think this movie's very good at just opening up like it's any other day it, it does not feel you know if this if this was shot like domino from the start we'd be like when is this train cutting loose but uh it really does open like yeah this could happen at any time everyone is just going about their business and it's just kind of a sleepy morning in pennsylvania yeah it's yeah he's he's off watching his kid go to school uh frank barnes oh it it talks about like uh, like because his daughters are working their way through school and they work at hooters is what it is um Rodari Dawson, as you said, like she's like, oh, we got kids coming in, but she's also like getting the donuts for the office that day when she's coming in. Like, and Ethan Suppley is as as Dewey, uh, who's the guy who gets out like the him and the TJ Miller stuff, it's like they're just doing their job, and Suppley's like, Oh, I get off the train all the time. I can I can make it. It's just like mm-hmm. everything and even like I think even like I don't know, Kevin Corgan comes in i think for something else and he just happens to be the he's, yeah he's supposed to be giving the presentation, presentation to the kids, to the kids. Yeah. and he's just there and i, I kind of love his like brief little exchanges with uh with denzel where he's just when denzel mm. gets on rosario Dawson's like does this guy is this guy for real like because he's like <laughs> telling me all the stuff that i don't think is right um but no i think all of them have great chemistry and again it's the great you talk about crimson tide of how they're able to use like the rosario dawson relationship with denzel and chris pine in the in the movie and her stuff but it's like again all these characters are separated like they don't really Mm -hmm. meet at all until kind of the ending of the film uh like kevin dunn's never really in the same room with them uh lou temple's never in the same room with them it's just like they're all like going about their days and how everything just converges to this one massive event yeah but yeah, I think I think overall, I think what I really love about this movie, and I think this is definitely the best of his like everyman movies, is mm-hmm. that this feels like a big Bruckheimer mm-hmm. blockbuster, but it feels so much more grounded than any anything else within that yeah subgenre, you know, yeah. whatever you want to call it, you know these these big we got to save the world movies. This feels so much more grounded yeah. than that, but it is every bit as suspenseful and thrilling and, and all of that. Well, it shows that how, how well you can build suspense and tension without it being, Oh no, we got to save the world. It's just like, we yeah. have to save this little town in Pennsylvania. It's not a little but it's this like somewhat heavily populated town in Pennsylvania before this train gets there and possibly like blows up a good chunk of this town. Like it's a very yeah. big thing, but like it's a small it's just a small town at the end of the day. It's a small town. Yeah, but it's not it's not launching World War Three yeah. in, in Crimson Tide. Or... Yeah. Or it's I mean it's not it's not the apocalypse, next minute apocalypse. Uh but it's like it's 
it's very like to these people it's the eva- they're having to evacuate real quickly and and all like it's just the way it builds tension throughout the movie i think is amazing um and, and it, it is kind of i'm happy it's it's bittersweet because i'm happy he goes out the tony scott's last film is is this damn good mm-hmm. um and it's it's bitter because i wish we got more how many cars are we supposed to cut in 20, why? 20 cars, okay. See the switch stand up ahead of us? The switch stand, yeah? Uh-huh. Yeah. Take a look in the rearview mirror there. You see the one behind us? Way back there, you see it? Uh-huh. There's exactly 21 cars between the two stands. Don't ask me how I know. So why is it that there's still more than four and a half cars that are yet to clear? Because I... Excuse me? Because, because I cut, what? Because I cut because in too many. I cut in too many cars. Cut in too many cars, son. Well, maybe if you weren't on my ass the whole no, time, I might be able to think straight and do my job. Behind. Now, what do you mean? Maybe if I. You do my ass this fucking trip. I'm just saying, pick a goddamn job. I right? got you my pull job. You pick one. I pull the throttle. It's one or the other. Pull the pins. You're five pins too many. Pull the pins. You're right. Pull the pins. I've had my training, all right. Yeah, but we're out here in the real world. This ain't training. In training, they just give you an F. Out here, you get killed. I screwed up. Okay, yes, you want me to stop and roll back, and I'll cut the end. Roll back. Oh, Lord. We can't stop out here on the main. More than a mile out on the main, more than a mile to the next stop. You don't take a consist this size, that distance in reverse. So, but just great scenes all around. Great chemistry from all the character actors, top to bottom. Great cinematography, the way he's able to count. Again, he's able to shoot contained spaces very well, which is something I, I not, that's one thing I didn't, expect to realize coming into this and some it becomes almost parody sometimes of how he's like moving the camera around the uh uh the car or the the cab or whatever the train of just like going back and forth mm-hmm. but i think it, i think it's it's i think it's works perfectly for this movie yeah and we've and and i think you know that it works because we've seen it not work yeah uh we'll bring it back again to the rooftop scene in spy, spy game. game yep <laughs> because the tension wasn't really there in that scene like this adds the tension and everything so anything else you want to say scene wise about um unstoppable no it's just great great team great uh great cast really fun really really impressed i I, this is one i went into expecting good things and and i was it exceeded my expectations again i'm i hope this is the one i think will bring people around to tony in a way received good critical reviews when it came out it uh currently sits at 87 percent on rotten tomatoes ebert gave it three and a half stars out of four i think the highest he gave and one i think it's the tie for the highest he gave a tony scott film the other one being crimson tide ebert as always with tony scott he says in terms of sheer craft craftsmanship this is a superb film ebert always said scott was a master craftsman <laughs> I, I I know we reference Ebert a lot and he's 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 a great he is a great critic for uh general audiences. Yes. And you know, I, I love a lot of other critics, but I really don't think anyone kind of nails the American public like like Ebert does. Yeah. And, and but this is this has been my fa- I, I I so I, I know we bring him up a lot on the show, but his kind of relationship with Tony Scott <laughs> has been one of my favorite things <laughs> that we've featured of him on here. It's just the way that he was always like damn it i 
I don't like this movie, but but Tony Scott like Does it accomplished so well. <laughs> everything he set out to do. <laughs> and we've talked about this, and I love that he's able to 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 say that. Yeah, and we've you and I've had a discussion because we were what well, was some some friends where it's like uh, talking about like the importance of how we how we will mark a movie up if it's a movie that knows what it is and succeeds in what it's try, trying to do. Mm-hmm. Like some of our friends are just yeah. like, you shouldn't rank a movie that way. I was like, no, no, no. You know how hard it is to like do that right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. like to make the movie you set out to make and keep it consistent in tone and six and sticking the landing of what you're trying to say. Like, and that's the thing again, I to go with, with go with sky on this. It's like that. I, again, he, he, he is not a style. I mean, he, he, he loves shooting cool shit. Like he makes <laughs> it look great, but to say he isn't saying anything is always annoying to me because he's, it's it's becoming more apparent when watching all these films is that yes a lot of this stuff is very cool and the early 80s stuff with bruckheimer is the stuff where it's like is he saying that much is it just making cool stuff but this this back half of this movie kind of from true romance onward is kind of the thing or maybe crimson tide onward is where he really is like kind of looking at american culture in a way that some other directors have not looked at. And it's interesting coming from a British filmmaker that he's doing mm-hmm. it where he's doing this American Everyman series with Denzel Washington. I told someone recently, I was like, yeah, you can see, I don't, I don't think you could play this role as well as Denzel, but you could see someone being like, we need every man for this role. Let's get Tom Hanks. Like someone trying to put mm-hmm. Tom Hanks in this unstoppable movie. And just, it's a weird action film with Tom Hanks. Like that's what he's doing and kind of showing the, ramifications of what happens when an ordinary man gets thrown into an extraordinary day yeah and i think you know to and this is a tony scott series but to to kind of touch on denzel mm-hmm. really quickly i think denzel the thing that denzel empowers in in that that is the x factor yeah is denzel has this like quiet dignity <laughs> to him and and whether that is you know obviously his most famous role whether that is portraying malcolm x or whether that's crimson tide where it is someone who is who is young and and feels out of place but knows that he is right and is sticking to his his you know convictions or whether that is creasy who is someone who has lost his way but finally feels like he's he's found his his humanity again or whether it is these last two men these 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 civic servants who have had their kind of comfortable way of life threatened, but are going to continue to do the right thing. That That is something that he embodies in all of his performances that, that Scott was able to pinpoint. And whether there are stronger Denzel performances out there, yeah. yes. But there's something in the way that Scott, that he and Scott play together and that Scott brings out that, that, kind of like that fire in him that is amazing in all of these the man on fire uh no it's it's the different <laughs> shades of washington's persona that you get to mm-hmm. see he's these very quiet characters throughout most of scott's films yeah there's a I, I you know i love man on fire and there's so many amazing moments in that but i think uh, having watched all of these now my absolute favorite denzel moment in any of these movies is when gene hackman is like slapping him in crimson tide and he's just taking it and he's just staring him down with this look in his eye that is like i know that i am right here 
and I'm going to take whatever you throw at me because the, the world is at stake. And um, it's incredible. Now you stop your pursuit or I will fire you. You already did. Already did what? You've already fired me. I received my 90-day notice in the mail 72 days ago. Forced early retirement, half benefits. So you're going to risk your life for us with three weeks left? Not for you. Not doing it for you. Frank, you see that thing? Mr. Galvin, this is Will Coulson, your conductor. I'm letting you know we're going to run this bitch down. Well, maybe you didn't hear what I just said, Coulson. I will fire you. Well, that's too bad. I was just starting to like this job. So, this was hard. Um, okay. He finishes Unstoppable in 2010. And then on August 19th, 2012, uh, Tony Scott drove his car down to the Vincent Thomas Bridge in San Pedro in the southern part of Los Angeles. And it was around 12.30 p.m. that afternoon when uh, Tony hopped over a fence at the bridge, it seems, and jumped into the Los Angeles Harbor. Um, earlier reports said that he had left two notes one his car with his contact information and another at his office for his family. Uh, his death was ruled a suicide with many conflicting statements revolving around his death. Some anonymous source saying that he had been battling cancer while his family initially reported those statements were false. Um, the autopsy report would show, would not show cancer, but two years later, his brother Ridley Scott said that Tony uh, had been fighting cancer for several years and the family wanted to keep it private. Um, and we're not here to assume what happened on that day or what Tony was going through in his, in his life that day. I know he was, I've read that he was in the middle of scouting locations for Top Gun 2 and was in the middle of, of still working on his career. Um, all I know is that we lost a kind of innovative and awe-inspiring artist who was also apparently a man full of kindness and sweetness and energy and, and as the news of Tony Scott's death broke, tributes came pouring in from his friends and collaborators and admirers, showcasing how important he was to a variety of people, but also to, to cinema as a whole. I'm going to read a few of these statements that were made. The star of Tony Scott's The Hunger, Susan Sarandon, stated, saddened by the death of Tony Scott, a wonderful filmmaker and a funny, sweet guy. Patricia Arquette, star of True Mance, kind of echoed that, saying, Tony Scott, the sweetest man I ever worked with. Eddie Murphy commented, my deepest sympathies go out to Tony's family. He was a great director and wonderful collaborator. He'll be deeply missed. Uh, Gene Hackman said, Tony was always sensitive to the needs of an actor. We've lost a wonderful creative talent. Val Kilmer said, RIP Tony, you were the kindest director I ever worked for. You'll be missed. Uh, Kevin Costner had a kind of a good one to say. He said, Tony was one of the good guys. He was a man's man who lived life as hard and, hard and as full as anyone I ever met, but there was always a sweetness to his toughness. He was truly in love with his profession, and he is already missed. Mia Savari said, uh, I am so shocked and pleased saddened 
overhearing that Tony Scott passed away today. Uh, he was such an amazing spirit, full of life and passion. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have worked with him and cherish the beautiful memories I have of him buzzing around the set. He was a sweet man with enormous talent, and I wish with everything that his soul has found peace and the angels watch over him and his family. Uh, she was in Domino. She was one of the ones in Domino. Mm-hmm. The last three. T- uh, Tom Cruise said, Tony was my dear friend, and I will re- really miss him. He was a creative visionary whose mark on film was immeasurable. My deepest sorrow and thoughts with his family at this time. Uh, Denzel said, Tony Scott was a great director, a genuine friend, and it is unfathomable to think that he is now gone. The last thing I was going to say that was brought up, Keira Knightley wrote a really great piece about Tony Scott and The Guardian. She goes, Tony Scott was a master filmmaker, one who was constantly pushing the boundaries of what his medium could do. His films don't just belong in cinemas, they belong in art galleries too. His images get stuck in your head, those fevered neon dreams, those violent men of legend, and just occasionally those violent women too. He let a 19-year-old girl play out the angry young man inside her, and I'll always love him for that. I'll always love him for his exploding spirit and imagination. So a lot of great stuff was said about him, and if, and when reading it, it's all very consistent in what's being said. Mm-hmm is that yep. a talented force but a sweet kind soul yeah and and someone who made actors feel very comfortable which is something i think like we said at the top of the episode you and i both yeah. kind of discovered with this this journey is that he yeah like you said you're not he's not someone you think of as like man tony scott he's an actor's director but it's there it's it's obviously there and his respect for his his cast is is very obvious when you look at the performances he gets obviously the way he treated them on set and then the way that he you know this 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 acting troupe that he built up around yeah. himself this um, this family just his his passion his energy his shorts <laughs> a pink hat you know just you know his his uh passion you know when when he would uh, in fact I, I i got a note from him about three or four days before he passed away and, uh, you know, because we were talking about doing a film, and, and he's he's like, come on, Denzel, we got we to go, we got to go, go. He's just always, he's like a, you know, he would cry uh, in emotional scenes, and, and uh, he, he's just a wonderful, wonderful man. A few unrealized projects that Tony Scott was working on at the time, it looks like Top Gun 2 was the one. Um, he was also looking at working on a remake of The Warriors, hmm. um, but set in L.A., uh, he was looking at remaking the Wild Bunch. Oh wow! He was looking at remake. He was doing a novel of Clifford Irving's Tom Mix and Pancho Villa. Uh, he said it was going to mm-hmm. be this is Lawrence of Arabia meets the Wild Bunch, a huge films with trains, cavalry, thousands of soldiers in uniform and on horseback. He had been scouting. Man, I would love. I would have loved a Tony Scott western. I know, right? It would have been amazing. He he had been scouting locations in Mexico, is what it was, and Steve Zalian was going to write uh the script so stats of tony scott before we get to our final rankings uh can you guess the top three movies in terms of ratings on letterbox with this list true romance that is number one i don't know how letterbox would feel about top gun i I think your i think your uh instinct is correct Okay, I won't say Top Gun. Yeah. Man on Fire. Man on Fire number three. Okay. Um, oh, what is 
two. Uh, Unstoppable? Nope. Larabox, Larabox is very wonky with with Tony Scott movies. Crimson yeah. Tide, number two. Oh, okay. Crimson Tide. All right. Well, uh, the, you know, as much as I like to think I'm different from the uh, Letterbox <laughs> crowd, we might come to find out. Uh, might come to find out fairly soon that I am not. They're not. Um, but they're also mixed. Uh, like, the, like they're they're at number. Can you guess what their number five is or number number four and five? Can you guess their number four or five are? Top Gun. Nope. Not even top five. Not even top oh, five again. Top Gun is number seven. Wow. Okay. Number Unstoppable. Nope. Unstoppable is okay. All right. Ten. Yeah. The Hunger is number four. Okay. Uh, and the last Boy Scout number five. What? I'm gonna be differing what? on that one big time. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's where I, that's where I finally broke with convention. Yeah. Uh, the bottom three. Can you guess the bottom three in terms of rating? The fan. The fan is next to last. Um revenge revenge is not in the revenge is uh the fifth lowest i don't know how how you and i didn't like spy game but i don't know how letterbox spy game is eighth wow all right i don't know you just gotta tell me this is this is where i think letterbox and i are gonna differ (laughs) so the bottom three it's taking a pelham one two three the fan and domino dead last oh okay yeah we're definitely gonna differ a little bit when we get to the bottom yeah 2.7 tied 2.7 with the fan domino at the, at the bottom uh and then let's see we'll ask this uh most pop top three most popular films this one's easier true romance number two top gun top gun number one man on fire man on fire number three yeah. okay I, I like i like that the kids are watching man on fire yeah. i like that the I like that the, the the young people are seeing. That's it. surprising. Crimson Tide, the tenth most popular film of his filmography, huh. which is a shame. Uh, and then his most used actors. I mean, it's Denzel's number one, but he has Val yep. Kimmer with three, James Gandolfini with three, Christopher Walken with three, Gene Hackman with two, Kevin Corrigan with two. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm blanking on other people, but yeah, it, it's just Tom Cruise with two uh just make a movie with the with the acting troupe of tony scott and you'll have one pretty fantastic film um okay final rankings thomas let me get this out okay you go from bottom to top is that what we want to do okay we can do that all right let me go first is my technically so technically for mine the fan is my bottom you told me yeah upon your recommendation i did not watch the fan yeah. so bottom, the fan is my bottom technically it's off my list okay. but i put it at the bottom okay just just for we were, yeah we didn't have time for that for that i was like just don't watch the fan what emmy yeah. estate more important watching me to stay <laughs> yeah so the fans my bottom one. all right what's your... number 15 i've got spy game i have spy game as well at number 15 <laughs> okay number 14 uh i've got revenge i have revenge as well at number 14 oh okay all right I think the middle is where we're gonna. Well, we're gonna, yeah, we're, we're really gonna, gonna branch off. All right, thirteen. I guarantee you, my thirteen is not your thirteen. What's your thirteen? I've got Pelham one, two, three. Okay, that's not that's not mine. That's Last Boy Scout. Last Boy Scout is my twelve. Okay, that one I might flip flop, but I'll I'll yeah I'll flip flop it because I that's Last Boy Scout. I think I would rewatch more than I would Pelham. So that was that was my thought process. Yeah, with where. Last Boy Scout kind of was the one that like traveled up and yeah. down this list, but I was like, same. I enjoy Last Boy Scout. Like I would watch it again. I'll go. I'll I'll, I'll go. I'll say the same with the. I'll go Pelham one two three. Even though I still like it, 
I will go Palomon 2-3 at number 13. And then Last Boy Scout number 12. I mean, I think it should be said, once we passed Revenge, I enjoyed everything <laughs> yeah. else on this list. <laughs> and me... I kind of enjoyed revenge. So like it's, it's, <laughs> we're, we're, it's yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so 11, 11. I've got domino. Oh, we're going to differ big time. <laughs> I have, I have deja vu at 11. Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll get to deja vu, but I, I, I put it higher than domino. Okay. Um, 10, I've got days of thunder. Okay. 10. I have top gun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just going right with Letterbox, aren't you? Just sticking with the, the the popular opinion brand, and that's always you. I was conflicted because my because because I was like, do I rank Top Gun above Days of Thunder? But again, I'm like, what movie I'm going to rewatch more? I'm going to rewatch Days of Thunder more. So that was that was the big debate. I just got nine, ten, eleven have switched multiple times just today. Okay. Domino, Days of Thunder, and then my nine is Deja Vu. Okay, um, those three are interchangeable. I yeah, I could watch I could watch any of them over again domino i would be a little bit more exhausted after rewatching for sure but <laughs> that's fair uh and so like, yeah. yeah so i've got deja vu nine okay uh days of thunder nine for me okay all right uh number eight i've got enemy of the state interesting eight i have the hunger oh okay i've got the hunger a little bit higher okay okay uh, uh seven i've got beverly hills cop two okay seven i have domino wow okay <laughs> six six for me is unstoppable six for me is enemy of the state wow we're, we're gonna differ big time in some of these yeah uh and i've got the hunger at five okay beverly hills cop two at five yeah i, I enjoy beverly hills cop two but it's not breaking top five for me uh <laughs> it's for me number four number four top gun <laughs> uh number four unstoppable okay three uh-huh. crimson tide three i have crimson tide as well two true romance two is true romance as well one man on fire one man on fire yeah so we're there we go we're the top and bottom is what we really have but again i agree with yeah. you it's really just like once you get to like it's the the, the kind of four spot to uh 13th spot it's mm-hmm. dealer's choice it's kind yeah, of how I all, feel. All competent movies, yeah. all like we've talked about, achieve what they set out to do. Yeah. At, at, for my ranking, I just had to go with ones I would rewatch more. You know, ones I would take more enjoyment out of. Yeah. Out of That's coming fair. back to. Yeah, and I, I kind of it was a mixture of like ones I would rewatch for sure, and then ones I'm like, is this like a, just a more like like Domino? I would not watch Domino more than Days of Thunder or probably Top Gun. But I think Domino is just a is a way more interesting film to mm-hmm. me. So if I'm going like favorite, Days of Thunder and Top Gun are gonna move up and Domino's gonna drop. Um But I want to be different, Thomas. I want to put Domino higher. <laughs> I want to talk how how good Domino is. Um okay, so that's our final rankings. So real quick, it's, we'll kind of combine these two. So what did you learn from this series about Tony Scott? Yeah, I mean, we've brought it up time and again, but I think the the biggest surprise for me was the the strength of his casting and the strength of his actors. Uh, it, it's something obviously you look back and you're like, "Wow, Tony got, Tony Scott made blockbusters with stars." But when you really get back into it, it's the combination of the hottest people in town mixed with 
legends mixed with really really solid character actors yeah and they just make amazing ensembles he's got so many of these movies where you've got c-level characters that you care way too much about yeah um you know uh and i think you know i think who really introduced him to that in the best way was tarantino and i think tarantino is someone who's great about that and i think true romance is where he really hits on it and then it's something that he kept doing after true romance i i like that take i agree with you on that i do you do see it more like there's characters in like example days of thunder we talked about Mm -hmm. this before of how like you, you almost like do you need those three kind of character relationships in days of thunder duvall rooker and kidman and I think True Romance onward is where he really learns how to balance all the characters out. Yep. Um, so I agree with that statement. Again, I the big thing I learned is is going into this. I always lo- I I my buddy Logan who loves Tony Scott introduced me to like making me reevaluate Tony Scott. And so I always know like, oh he's underrated he's underrated he's an underrated director. I didn't know coming into this month that I would think so highly of as I said in episode two and still stand by that would put him on like top four most influential directors of our modern era of filmmaking in terms of blockbusters and, and star yeah. power, whatever it's the it's Spielberg, it's Lucas, it's Cameron and it's Tony Scott. And how I compare them is that like Cameron Scott and Lucas feel like all filmmakers where they were the tides that rose all boats basically where it's like, star wars we gotta get star wars now because of that or it's like oh jaws we gotta get jaws now it that was all or cameron with terminator that was all those they redefined the industry in one movie and scott was a was a guy who redefined the industry through a career and everyone became taking little pieces of his work and putting it in their thing and he did the thing is he did the same as well other people he would take stuff from like like from this movie i like this i like this actor i like Oh, I like the way I do this sequence in this movie, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it and and kind of comparison to Tarantino. Tarantino's very much like that, where it's some would say hip hop cinema of how he samples things over and over again. Scott's very similar, just not as um, I guess uh, obvious about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But in terms of just the coaching tree aspect of the Hans Zimmer, of the Bruckheimer, of the Denzel Washingtons, of all the people on the crew that have worked with him or that, that have worked in the industry since in big budget Hollywood films, I, I think he has a lasting influence on especially our current era of movies. Like the, where I was I've been having a conversation with friends, like what happens if Tony Scott does a super, like a legit superhero movie in the two t- 2010s? Like what yeah. happens? Like probably not a Marvel film, but like what happens if he's directing like this like action heavy? Like he's doing the Punisher with John Bernthal. What do you get? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that you, you, the coaching tree concept I think is fantastic. And that you know you go back to Top Gun and you're like, oh, there's Michael Bay. Yeah. You go to something. I think you know you get a little bit later in his mtv style and his kind of green era and you're like that that's peter berg like yeah. um, yes and then like we were talking about with some of that enemy of the state stuff you're like there's paul greengrass mm-hmm. it's 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 so influential the, the work that he did yeah i agree completely and i hope you all listening have also learned to appreciate tony sky as much as we have and hopefully you continue to sing the praises 
of Tony Scott that he so rightfully deserves. Um, Go introduce your friends. You can introduce your friends to this podcast too, but go introduce your friends to Tony Scott as well. (laughs) Um, And sing the praises and, and, and don't just refer to him as really Scott's brother. Two very talented filmmakers, but two very different filmmakers that deserve Mm -hmm. to have their own conversation uh, and not be attached to one another as I just attached them together. Um, That's it on Tony Scott month. Next month, it's very hot in the in, in the atmosphere right now. We're gonna be talking about musicals. The month of July. It's gonna be a guy five Can episodes a say, month. Yeah, go ahead. This is absolutely wild. It feels unprecedented. Or I mean not unprecedented. I'm sure it happened in like the forties. But I, I just went I just this afternoon got out of my first back in theater experience. I saw in the heights and I was seeing a big budget movie musical and I was shown the trailers for two other big budget movie it's musicals insane. before the film. I'm like, what is happening right now? I said this a few years ago to friends. Believe me, I was like, we're about to be in a renaissance of movie musicals. And it was about three years ago. I said, it's like, you're, you're insane. I was like, no, because you, you started to see it with La La Land and then Great Showman Um and then other movies I'm, I'm I'm blanking on at this moment in time. Mamma like, Mia, here we go again. Mamma Mia, here we go again. Yeah, like, and, and they're like jukebox musicals that you started to see pop up, and and even just the rise of musicals on television in a way. Um, it it's be yeah. Which 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 trailers did you see on yours? Was it Dear Evan Hansen, like Tick Tick Boom or something? No, it was West Side Story. West Side yeah, Story. Tick, Tick, Boom's Tick, out Tick there Boom's another well, one too. Yeah. You're about, and they're and they're gonna become prestige movies and blockbuster films um so yeah we're and we're gonna be talking about it and i want to talk about like why we think why we think there's such a love for this genre specifically right now in our current world um but yeah in the heights go see that in theaters if you can just a a side thing to promote we're not sponsored by warner brothers or hbo max um but go see in theaters if you can but yeah we're talking about uh musicals next month we're talking about west side story i know for sure uh, as kind of your traditional musical, we're going to talk about a jukebox musical across the universe. Solid month for those that like musicals. If you don't like musicals, I'm very sorry. Hopefully, we we change. If you don't like musicals, tune in because we're here to change your mind. You know, maybe you don't like. Maybe you thought you didn't like Tony Scott movies, but you know, here we are. Hopefully, we we got to you. And the listeners, I can tell listeners are are liking the Tony Scott stuff. You guys, you guys are staying with us. Um, especially you guys in Sweden. You guys in Sweden pretty good shout out sorry that i I was not uh making fun of mama mia in any way to our to our uh, (laughs) listeners in sweden i promise yeah yeah because we got a bunch um so yeah that's all we have for you this week make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast and apple podcast spotify stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you write us review on whatever platform you listen to the show on yeah guys we love to hear from you i i would absolutely love to hear from a swedish uh one of our swedish (laughs) listeners so you know leave us a review yeah we we get an absolute blast out of hearing from you guys i've i've gotten to hear kind of personally through some people about their their thoughts on tony scott and their how excited they were about this month so so anytime you can kind of drop a comment or hit us up on social media about that it really it makes us more visible to the people around you but it Mm -hmm. also it it gives us feedback and it lets us know that people out there in the void are listening and we love that and that's very important give us a little bit of confidence boost guys we we love hearing from y'all uh if you haven't already Make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Thomas, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Yes, sir. Another great month. And thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.